Hello, Clash fans, and welcome to episode 28 of Inside Clash. I am your host, the cautiously optimistic Trample Damage. Today's episode is titled Q&A, and I and O. The Q&A, of course, representing the question and answer portion of an event that Supercell engaged in recently, where they cherry-picked some fun questions off of the internet to simulate and ask me anything, posted some fun answers, and shared that on Reddit. I'm going to be going through some of the questions that they posed and their answers and my thoughts on it after we go through the I and O portion, which I don't actually know if that's a normal acronym anybody would use for anything, but the I being information because we are going to talk about the sneak peeks that were dropped just today. Because as long as I did this correctly and I am sharing this on the correct day, you are going to be able to know all about sneak peek number one for the update that is going to be dropping featuring a bunch of cool, exciting stuff that we will talk through. So it's the information, and the O is going to be observations. I'm going to provide some observations on that stuff. Then we will fall back into some of the normal pieces of the show that we get into, like when we go inside the numbers to take a look at the relationship between damage per second and attack speed. You will note, if you look at the vamp stash regularly, like I do, that there is, at a max level, 18 vamp stash. The Barbarian King has a 22% attack speed increase, and there's some interesting commentary that's going to come from some dialogue that I saw in the creator program that I'd like to share with you that's not confidential. It's just somebody making some observations, and uh, I did want to bring up some thoughts about that. We will then, of course, be giving you too much information, and it's going to be some some darker too much information today, but hey, I like to share stuff. Uh, so we'll tell you a little bit uh, too much information, and then we will wrap up with questions from the audience. I'm going back to the skies, gonna send in some dragons to burn down your base. Tear up those roots, cause I'm ascending their truths to slap your face. Spamming dragons take skill, I don't care if that's false. I'll just fly over those walls. You know that you're a lost cause. ado, let's dive into some of the exciting things that have been spoiled and released today in these sneak peeks. Or if you are one of the creators who did not get the very late night memo here in the United States that sneak peek number one had to be pushed back by a day, uh, we, you may have seen some of that stuff already yesterday. Uh, and then had some creators, you know, getting uh, potentially chastised for dropping stuff early. I, I don't actually schedule anything for the most part. Uh, I will do some of my YouTube videos on the challenge basis. I'll sometimes schedule those because I know that there's never going to be anything that changes. I normally don't schedule sneak peek stuff. I just kind of set my alarm clock. It's really my watch, so I don't wake my wife up. My watch starts vibrating. I roll over to the side of my bed. I grab my phone. I upload stuff, and then I go back to sleep. And then I carry on with my day. But a couple folks accidentally had some stuff ready to go. And around, I'm going to say like 11.30 Pacific time, my time, 11.30 my time, there was a message sent on the creator Slack, which is, you know, like morning, mid-morning in Finland, saying, okay, guys, we're not necessarily going to wind up launching the sneak peek today, so just keep your eyes peeled, and we'll give you a decision about a half an hour before we told you you could post them. 
And then about half an hour before, they sent a message saying, don't post anything yet. And some people, unfortunately, did not get the memo. And that actually, that, that frustrates a lot of the creators in the program because, you know, they everybody works really hard to put out good content for their fans and their subscribers and their followers. And it is very unfortunate when you spend a lot of time and effort putting together something really incredible that is going to be meaningful and new to your audience. And then, you know, they already saw stuff spoiled all over the internet. So unfortunate, but you know, I'm I'm not doing this for a living, so I'm just going to roll with the punches. <clears throat> so, sneak peek number one, five main takeaways. Number one, new clan chat. Uh, I don't know at this point if you've seen any of the images that are, gonna, that are going to come along with this. I don't love the visual interface visually. I don't love the, the way that it looks necessarily, but it's a, almost a little too cartoony for me, and I'm just, I'm, I'm used to like very you know, like bland and boring looking stuff, whether it's on Discord or the normal clan chat or comment sections in TikTok. And so it's it's a little too exciting for me, but I love the functionality. The ability to pin messages is something that we would have always asked for. It's kind of like clan mail, but the clan mail sometimes, you know, like somebody is out of the clan donating someplace else or they're doing a tournament war somewhere and they don't necessarily see a message or we want to post a couple of notes, but we have to wait for an hour in between sending clan mail. And the clan mail is not necessarily something that everybody always winds up checking, which is unfortunate. And maybe those people won't check the pinned message tab, but a tab for pinned messages will be really nice. Only leaders and co-leaders will be able to pin messages, but it'll be a really nice way for war communication or notes about clan games or possibly even clan war league roster stuff that will just stay there. That can be a very useful tool. I'm really excited about it. There is now also in the clan chat an opportunity to at other members so you can reply directly to them. Some clans are not very active in their chat, so it's kind of irrelevant, but for clans that have a decent amount of chat, it can be nice to be able to say, oh, hey, person number one, this message is directed at you, and I don't have to, like, you know type your name in there and hope you wind up seeing it blended in with everything else because you, you know, you'll you notice your name being highlighted there with a message that is directed at you. So that's cool. And there is now the opportunity to react to messages that people post. It is going to be somewhat limited. There is a stock set of five emojis that you will be able to select from. So none of the saucy or spicy emojis are going to be able to be dumped into the clan chat in the game. But instead of you know, a lot of times people in clan chat, they type out LOL. And really what that means is I think you said something funny and it was funny enough that I'd like to acknowledge that you said something funny. Some people also use it as a, I don't understand what you said, but it appears to be a joke. I'm going to type LOL and then I won't have to respond. You'll now be able to do that with the laughing emoji, or you will be able to add the crying emoji or a thumbs up. I forget what the other ones are. Or a heart emoji might be one of them. Probably should have checked that before hopping on here to tell you all about the cool new clan chat features. So what I will say is while I don't necessarily love exactly what the interface looks like, I think it is a great step in the direction that probably will just continue to grow and get better. I've seen people ask for, you know, separate tabs for friendly challenges, maybe separate tabs for the troop requests or separate tabs for what could eventually be some kind of clan alliance chat, who knows? But I love that the infrastructure appears to be there, and I'm really excited about where it will eventually wind up going. 
One downside is that you, if somebody ats you, uh, and I, maybe this is a good thing so that you're not just getting spammed, but it won't give you a notification that you got an at message, so you'll still kind of have to look for it. But I imagine over time there will be some modifications and adjustments made to that, so I am pretty excited. So that's the one, that's number one, big thing, clan chat changes. Number two, new building levels. I'm going to get this one out of the way up front. I can't talk about what's going to be inside this thing, but the Dark Spell Factory is getting a new level. And I will tell you, I don't think it's just to add a few more hit points to increase the difficulty of attacking. Because honestly, one of the ways if they wanted to go through and nerf troops, which yes, we are going to talk about that, one of the ways they could potentially have nerfed offense is just by giving the Dark Spell Factory 20,000 hit points, right? They could have, you know, add a new level to gold mines and drills and dark elixir collectors to, or I mean, uh, the regular elixir collectors, they added 70 hit points and there's like 14, right? Seven gold mines, seven elixir collectors and three drills. So 17 new buildings, each getting 700 hit points. You know, putting 1,400-ish more hit points out there on the map. They could make it harder just by adding hit points to buildings. Uh, but that is that is not what happened with the Dark Spell Factory. But we can't talk about that yet, so you're going to have to wait for another episode or check out somebody else's podcast at some point after. You can also check me out. I'm going to be uh, guesting on the Reddit Talks Clash podcast. I haven't been back there for a year, not since I did my Valentine's Day challenge last year, and they were kind enough to have me on. This was before, of course, I started Inside Clash with Trample Damage. Feel free to check that out. We will be recording on Monday afternoon, my time. And then I don't know when they're going to get around to posting it, but Congressman Coolrick, who is Rage in my clan and the good guys, one of my clanmates for a long time, one of the leaders in the clan, uh, and also with Spencer and with Sam, who is Sam is also in the good guys as one of our clanmates. And uh, so we're going to be talking about all this stuff, including what is coming out of the Dark Spell Factory, aside from just a few more hit points. So cool on the gold mines and the elixir collectors and the dark elixir drills. Nice to have more resources. You know, nobody's going to complain about that. Yeah, the extra hit points, uh, maybe a few troops. It'll take a little longer to destroy those. Who knows? Could cause some time fails. We'll see. Makes the game harder. Now the more important piece of the buildings that are getting new levels, the defenses. The Inferno Tower, the Scattershot, and the Hidden Tesla. In addition to the Seeking Air Mine, but the three defenses getting new levels, the Inferno, the Scattershot, the Hidden Tesla, all going to make a big impact in the game. That is 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 new buildings getting more hit points and increased damage per second. It's going to make it tougher for the offense. Scattershot, obviously a nightmare for a lot of troops because it hits a bunch of stuff all at once. Inferno Tower in single target mode can eat up root riders. It can eat up golems. It can eat up pekkas and dragons and super dragons and all those big chunky troops. And in multi-target mode, of course, it is able to target quite a few troops. It's targeting six troops at a time. It's a very powerful defense. More levels for these defenses mean harder to get three stars. We are going to be taking the easy factor down just a little bit as we increase the difficulty in getting through some of these bases. However, we are not just getting new defenses that we have to overcome. We are also going to get some new troop levels. The exciting new troop levels are coming for bowlers, minions, baby dragons, and my favorite troop in the game, the hog rider. Of course, that also means that the super hog, the super bowlers, the super minions, and the inferno dragons will get new levels as well, which is, I think, going to make a pretty big impact in this as we wind up seeing some of the nerfs that we'll talk about in a minute on the ground troops. Root riders getting a nerf. I know. We'll talk about it. The super minions are going to be a very useful thing, uh, especially coming out of a blimp. 
Actually, we're just going to go ahead and cut to the chase and say Root Rider, Super Barbs, and Super Archers are getting nerfed. If you didn't hear this already and I'm telling you for the first time, I'm so sorry. I was hoping that they would not get nerfed. They didn't tell us early on, so this whole time I've been thinking, all right, cool, they're not going to nerf Root Riders, and some other troops are getting some buffs and stuff, and this is cool, we're going to be just fine. And then uh, a couple days ago, they're like, yep, here's the, here's the notes for the balance changes, and I saw Root Riders taking a hit point nerf, and I was like, oh man, that stinks. So, getting back to the new troop levels, I think maybe there's going to be an opportunity to see some more stuff happening because of the super archers getting nerfed the super minion blimps actually might become a thing super bowlers i think are going to be a very big deal they definitely take a ton of damage from those ricochet cannons and from the multi-archer towers but i think with the extra level on the bowler buffing the super bowler regular bowlers are actually pretty solid and they got cool little vines around their stones that they throw but the super bowler i think is going to be a very viable strategy that is going to jump right back into the meta the Super Hogs, of course, is one of my two favorite attack strategies right now at Town Hall 16. I am really excited about a new level on the Super Hog Riders. Unfortunately, I'm not ex excited about the new level on the Scatter Shots in the Inferno Towers because Scatter Shots are a nightmare for Hog Riders and Super Hog Riders, so I'm going to be taking some more damage from those defenses, and I, I don't know, the Super Hogs are probably just going to sort of stay on par with where they were. I don't know that I'm going to be getting that many legs up because those extra hit points from the Scatter Shots, they're just really brutal. Uh, I'm honestly not that excited about regular minions. I'm not that excited about baby dragons nor inferno dragons because I don't use them, but I have seen some pretty cool inferno dragon attacks that people have used over time. And with the electro owl getting five more levels, we might see some more, you know, grand warden flying around with an electro owl with five new levels and a bunch of inferno dragons and some free spells. We will see. The last two things that are getting new levels, the barracks and the log launcher. Log launcher really just getting some more hit points, a little bit more damage. But the Siege Barracks is going to be now disgorging two max P.E.K.K.A.s when you dump that sucker on the battlefield. It's going to make funneling so much cooler for the Hog Rider armies or the um, Queen Charge hybrid armies that you wind up seeing out there. Honestly, I think that extra massive body is going to go a long way toward bringing Siege Barracks back into the meta in a lot of capacities. I'm very excited about it. Flame Flinger, still a very powerful troop, or a very powerful siege machine that does a lot of good work for the uh, for the army. So we'll see. I am excited about the siege barracks. I'm probably going to try it out with a couple of armies. But uh, that second P.E.K.K.A., that's a big body. That's a lot of hit points. Has a lot of damage per second we're going to see coming out of there. Okay, so we got new buildings, we got new levels for defense, we got new levels for troops, and we said balance changes. Root Riders are going to be nerfed. If you haven't already watched it, I made a video that is about Super Giants as a perfectly reasonable alternative for Root Riders. I will also say plenty of attacks that we've all seen. The battle is over, and there are still like three or four Root Riders roaming around with two or three heroes and a bunch of other troops. So while the hit point reduction on the Root Riders will, of course, create a little bit of a gap between our current three-star rates and the new three-star star rates. I am not as concerned because I have three-starred plenty of Town Hall 16s using level 2 Root Riders, and the level 3 current Root Rider is going to look a little bit more like the level 2 current Root Rider, and I think we're going to wind up being okay. But of course, a lot of people are bummed out about it. I know quite a few of the people that I'm very friendly with in the podcasting community and the Clash community are really excited about the way the game has been, but I actually think we're all still going to be very happy when the dust settles. Super Barbs, not a troop that I use a lot, but they are going to be getting a nerf, and Super Archers are now going to be able to be destroyed by a bomb tower because we are pulling some hit points off of them. I think that's going to be a pretty important thing for the meta because the placement of bomb towers, basically we're just looking to kind of, you know, reduce the dependency on the super archer blimp 
to create a bit more diversity in the attack meta. And I am actually excited about that because I do think that it is a high risk, high reward strategy, but sometimes the upside of that is just so massive that a little bit of a nerf to that I think is gonna make a lot of sense to help give other strategies a bigger opportunity to compete within the meta. A couple of other things that we are going to have in terms of balance changes. The giant arrow, and I get to take credit for this one because I'm the one that pointed it out in the creator program. I sent a video of the of a TikTok that I made showing the super archer, I'm sorry, the giant arrow from the archer queen not travel its way all the way across the map because it was basically set to go diagonal to diagonal, but if you fire it from deep in the grass on one side of, on one corner, it won't go all the way across the base. And some people... You know, I, it's not a mistake. It's just something that, you know, we didn't really, I think, I, I say we loosely here. I didn't get the, I'm not part of the development team, but I, I could have easily made that same mistake, not considering the fact that somebody could launch it from deep in the grass, hoping to hit two air defenses that are in opposite corners of the base, only to have it miss the second one because it's a few tiles too short. But the intent was for it to go all the way across the map, and now it will indeed go all the way across the map. Two other things, the Spirit Fox will have its frost effect removed from its attack. I don't know exactly how it got this way. I remember when we were testing it, somebody said, hey, is the Spirit Fox supposed to free stuff? And there was kind of a, I don't think that was intended, but it's kind of cool. Do you want to just leave it? I'm assuming maybe the Spirit Fox was originally modeled partially off of Frosty, and maybe it just inherited that trait from Frosty as they were developing it, because I, there's an element of copying and pasting that happens with all development, and I think maybe that happened, and we thought, oh, that's cool, let's go ahead and leave it, but we're going to go ahead and take that off because the Spirit Fox is already amazing. It is such an amazing pet, and it is so powerful with the Royal Champion, and that Frost effect is maybe just, an, again, another little opportunity to shave off some of the additional ease of the game and make it a little bit less approachable, even though I really love how approachable it is right now. The last thing in the balance changes that I think is important because there's some builder-based stuff, and I don't care if you want to know about the builder-based stuff. Go listen to a podcast where they like the builder-based or follow Ashger, who is a content creator with a creator code that is probably Ashger, A-S-H-J-E-R, a builder-based creator. I think the only, like, strictly builder-based creator that we have out there, always providing lots of feedback about the builder-based. I often find myself going, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a builder-based, whatever. So, the you know, there's some builder-based stuff. If you want to see that, you can check out the notes. I'm sure somebody else is talking about it. But the last thing that's important to me on the main base is that the speed of summoning is going to be increasing when a troop has reached its max and some of those troops die. So short version, which, running around, she summoned a bunch of skeletons. Skeletons wind up getting torched. It's been a while since she summoned anybody, and it's still, there is a gap between when she, when her skeletons die and when she summons something else. We are going to be cutting into that amount of time, and I think that's actually going to be something really good for the Super Witch, which might give the Super Witch some more viability at Town Hall 16, so I am very eager and excited to try that out. That's all I can really talk about because we are only one sneak peek in. And I know what you're thinking, trample damage. You could have just waited until the third sneak peek was out and you could have talked about all of the, and all of the, and you could have mentioned the, and told us your thoughts on how the is going to wind up affecting the meta. But I can't because I don't usually record my podcast on the weekends. I usually record it during lunch sitting in my mobile recording studio, which is what's happening right now in the Las Vegas Valley, chilling in my Corolla hatchback. And I wouldn't have wound up recording this weekend, which means I'd have needed to record next week. But Monday is always really busy for me, and I'd have maybe recorded Tuesday, and who knows. So you get the episode now, but you're missing sneak peeks that are coming after sneak peek number one. Okay, now on to the Q&A that Supercell posted on Reddit. There were, and I forget now, 29 maybe? 27, 28, 29 questions. 
I'm going to skip some of them because I don't think they're that exciting or interesting or I don't have anything really to say about them. They're fascinating. If you want to read all of the detail of Supercell's response, you can absolutely find that on Reddit. You may have already seen this. So really what you're going to be taking away from this is my thought process on some of this. One of the questions they talked about were hero books, and I love the honest answer they gave. The question was like, hey, are we going to be able to use heroes without having them, you know, be upgrading and stuff? And the response was very clear. <laughs> hero books drive a lot of our revenue, and we would like to stay in business and provide increases in opportunity for you guys to experience new stuff in the game. And the way we can do that is by having hero books as something people pay for and spend gems on. It's kind of like the dirty underside of a free-to-play game needing to stay in business. I buy Hero Books. I know that they've made millions of dollars off of me over the years with all of my accounts between gems and actual direct purchases in the shop, which, of course, if you buy anything in the shop, use code TRAMPLE. If you don't want to use code TRAMPLE, use somebody else's code. If you're listening to my podcast and you're 20 minutes in, in, what is it, 20 minutes into my podcast, 20 minutes into my podcast, and you don't use somebody's creator code, there's something wrong with you, which is possibly that you just forgot to plug the creator code in, but please try to remember, use code TRAMPLE, and if there's somebody else you like better, like you think Sir Moose, who is a substantially better looking human than I am, he's very rugged, good looking, tall guy, uh, if you want to use code Moose because he's better looking than I am, then use code Moose. If you want to check out somebody else's content, just, you know, hook somebody up, whether it's somebody like me who's doing this as a hobby and tries to give stuff back or somebody who's trying to pay their rent and raise their children and save money for college please make sure to use a creator code uh, so the I, I they've gotten a lot of revenue from me over the years in the form of hero books and gems to buy hero books and i completely understand where they're coming from and the answer is very elegant to say hey, if we can find some other ways of monetizing the game to where you guys can use heroes for free cool we'll do it but uh, we gotta keep the lights on and pay the developers and they don't talk about the shareholders but it's a publicly traded company oh no it's not it's privately owned now i don't know they're a business they need to make money it is what it is so there was a question about friendly wars and regular wars not being able to be run concurrently their answer was we plan to address this in the next update but it's not on the list of things i can talk about today so I will simply say it is something they plan to address in the next update, and I am really excited about their solution. Uh, they talked about the notion of uh, an, an ore mine, like the gem mine, and they think, hey, you're going to have an ore mine? And they said, no, probably not. I mean, we want ore to be something that you achieve through actively playing the game, which I simultaneously love and despise, because I have a lot of lower town halls that I would love to get a level 9 iron or i say iron gauntlet so iron fist the king's old ability the uh giant gauntlet i'd love to get a level nine giant gauntlet on my town hall eight or a level nine frozen arrow on my town hall nine for my archer queen but i have to war with them in order to do that and you don't get as many pieces of ore at a lower town hall and i don't play them every day because you know like i have a life and a job and family and friends and all that stuff <laughs> i'm just kidding i don't have friends but i am married and i love my wife and i hang out with her a lot and she is my best friend but I don't wind up having an opportunity to really farm ore on those games on those bases the way I'd like to. So on some level, the not having a passive opportunity to pick up ore kind of is unfortunate. But at the same time, I don't even collect my gems from the builder base on most of those accounts. So I do like that it encourages the activity. And I think if they do stuff that gives people ore in ways that don't encourage activity quite as much, we might find ourselves in a situation where the level of activity drops in the game. So I, I like that about it, but I also grumble, grumble, I can't have everything. So there you go. The chat changes. They were asking about chat changes. We already talked about that. It is a nice change. I did say that, but I'm not in love with the, the aesthetic of the interface, but it is cool and I do like it. The, they talked about recruitment. Can we make recruitment better? And they acknowledge it's brutal and it's tough and it's not the most elegant thing, but the groundwork for a new and improved recruitment system is on the way. 
I personally am very excited about that. It's a possibility for other clans out there in the world. I fortunately, because of my social media following and you know my, my Discord presence, I do have an opportunity to get a lot of new people coming into the clan family. People jump around within the clan family. Sometimes they become a little bit more competitive and interested in you know some of the more aggressive wars we have because we're in champ one right now in the, the good guys. Sometimes people in the other clans want to jump in and I don't suffer from a lack of having people come join the clan family, but I know that the recruitment tools could definitely use some love and I look forward to that being something amazing they did address that town halls are intended to be done on a yearly basis and i thought yay so there's exclamation points and question marks after that because like it's really cool to get new content all the time town hall 17 presumably would come out later this year that's awesome but at the same time i think every year i'm gonna have to upgrade all these bases if i want to keep playing all of them at the same town hall levels they are and that's a lot of work but I enjoy the game, so I'm not going to complain about it. New content is fun. And they did talk a little bit about trying to, you know, keep the costs down on some of the future upgrades and the times down on some of the future upgrades. So it'd make it a little bit more accessible for people not to have to take, you know, like 30 years to max a base. So that's cool. That's exciting. Uh, but I am interested in the notion of perhaps seeing Town Hall 100 before I die. That would be pretty cool. They talked about clan alliances, and I will summarize it by saying... Uh, what they're really thinking about is everybody's notion of what a clan alliance means is something different. And so everybody is going to have inherently different needs or desires, and they will face various challenges in trying to implement those. And what they really like to do, and I like what they said, is they really want to just make sure they master the experience for the clan experience that exists today. Once that happens, of course, there will be an opportunity to create some kind of additional clan alliance but you know it's a limited team still i know they've got a they've talked about expansion and a bigger team but there are still limited resources and they will have to put some time toward that one thing they mentioned which i thought was really cool which i would love is kind of like the opportunity to sort of whitelist people so that if i have a clan that's closed and i want to move one of my bases out of that clan to another clan and then come back I could maybe have that base flagged as one that can come in and out of the clan at any point, and the leader of the clan can manage that list however they want to. And so whether it's a, a clan that's closed or an anyone-can-join clan, you can sort of between the clan families allow people to come and go freely, which I do think would be a really nice improvement. But long-term, I talked about this on my last episode, there's a lot of great ideas that a lot of people have for how to create, implement, manage, and develop some kind of alliance. But as of right now, it is not one of the things that they are actively working toward. Along the same lines, they talked about why are there only four clan member ranks. You've got leader, co-leader, elder, and member. And again, sort of along the same lines as the clan alliance, if I said, oh, I want 12 members, I want someone who can do these six things but not those four, and I want someone who can do these four things and not these three, it would create potentially a lot of confusion with, as I move from one clan to the next, what the different ranks mean, and they would, again, like to master the clan experience as it exists today before we start to complicate it anymore with additional features and options and variability. I did think one of the questions was super cute. What army would you use to attack Supercell headquarters? And they said, well, you know, it's a, the building is made of wood and we don't have air defenses on there, so probably Super Dragons would make short work of it. I thought that was a really cute answer. Uh, my own personal answer, I would attack it with healers because I want the building to stay in good shape for a long time to continue cranking out opportunities for me to eventually see that Town Hall 100. Uh, they did also, again, in the clan experience, talk about, you know, people wanting to have like 100 players in the clan or 150 or more. And they basically said the same thing. Look, let's let 50. Let's let's people let people get to 50 members and enjoy that experience before we start worrying about getting them to higher counts. 
they did also talk again about clans, new perks. People like, hey, Town Hall 10, I mean, a, a clan level 10 is the only the place where you continue to get perks after that. You don't get any more. And they've answered this before, which I agree with. If they continued to add perks for higher level clans, it would eventually make it really punishingly difficult to start a new clan and grow that clan. So I think they did talk about possibly adding some aesthetic stuff to the clan based on higher levels, but something that would give an actual benefit in game, whether it's more loot in wars or being able to donate at a lower cost, things that actually, or, you know, the higher troop levels, these are all, or more troops, right? Oh, I'll be able to donate 12 troops to somebody. Uh, those are all things that would make it very difficult for people starting out in new clans, even though, if we're being honest, it's already very difficult to start a new clan, but that would probably make it even harder. Uh, the last thing that they did talk about is that I think was interesting enough to mention on my podcast, Inside Clash with Trample Damage, use code Trample, I, the fifth hero, there was a question about future heroes, and they said, hey, yeah, we plan to add more heroes in the future, but probably not going to let you use more than four per attack. That sounds to me like when we're going to wind up in a situation much like with pets, where right now my Town Hall 16, I mean my Town Hall 15s, if I'm upgrading Frosty, then it's like, oh, well, it's cool, I'll throw... Lassie on my king, or I'll throw the poison lizard on my king, or I'll throw the phoenix on my king, because, you know, even if you say the unicorn is a staple for every single attack and Diggy is a staple for every single attack, you've still got viable options between the electro owl, Lassie, the yak, the poison lizard, and Frosty for choosing those other pets. We might wind up in a similar situation where future town halls in the higher levels will have an opportunity to, you know, like sit one hero and develop one hero without having to spend hero books while then working on, you know, playing with the other ones. Like, you know, I'm going to constantly be keeping one hero down until they're maxed, then I'll pick another hero. And, you know, the, everybody's going to want their archer queen or their royal champion or their warden or their king or whatever their favorite hero is. So, you know, they'll still sell some hero books, but it could be pretty cool. We are now going to go inside the numbers and talk about damage per second and attack speed. So if you notice, the Barbarian King with the Vamp Stash does have a 22% boost in attack speed. I've talked about this before. Simple example, if you see the Expo versus the Grand Warden. Even if they were dealing similar amounts of damage per second, the Expo attacks at a much higher rate, which means the individual projectile coming out of the expo deals less damage than the projectile which is the you know bing thing that the grand warden does where he just like strikes really hard and deals a ton of damage in one blow the expo divides all that damage up into smaller pieces which actually lends itself toward better damage management because you're not wasting damage like the grand warden does zapping an archer or a skeleton uh, the downside, of course, to the smaller bits of stuff is when you're dealing with something like the Archer Queen and she's got a bunch of healers on her, the Grand Warden, at the right time, with the right timing, can kill an Archer Queen through her ability. The Expo will never do that because of the amount of small damage that, it's wind that it winds up dealing. So the Barbarian King, with his increase in attack speed, I saw some dialogue in the creator program where somebody was asking, hey, you know, there's a little bit of confusion here between, like, the damage per second and the attack speed. Because doesn't the increase in attack speed basically just increase the damage per second? And in some regard, yes, it kind of does increase the net amount of damage that a hero will deal per second. But if we look at the way that the damage that is dealt from a unit is determined, there is a statistic that is attached to the troop, which is the damage per second. Then there is an attack speed that is attached to it, which will determine, like, barbarians and archers, they attack once per second. The archer queen actually attacks every three quarters of a second. The, uh, you know, the 
Grand Warden, I should have done the math on this. I forget the Grand Warden. I want to say it's like every four seconds or three seconds. But some of the troops attack slower than others, meaning that the actual shot that they take when you act, when you basically multiply the damage per second times the number of seconds in between each attack will give you the amount of damage they deal per hit. The interesting thing with the attack speed, while it will net adding more damage, it almost has an Expo-like effect. And one way to see this, which I'm, I'm going to post a TikTok on this because I know I've done it before. I had an attack where I took four skeleton traps, put them inside some walls, dumped the Barbarian King inside there, and he immediately triggers all four skeleton traps. And a max Barbarian King takes about 30 seconds to kill all of the skeletons that come out of the skeleton trap. Now, the Barbarian King's damage is more than high enough so that one shot will kill any of those individual skeletons. However, if I said that the attack speed, the 22% attack speed increase, was really just an addition to damage per second, then when I drop the the vamp stash wearing barbarian king into the same entrapment and he has to fight off four skeleton traps it would also take him 30 seconds but it doesn't it only takes him about 25 seconds he goes about 22 percent faster working his way through the skeletons so in that regard it's actually better than just an increase in damage per second because yes if he's going after the town hall or a wall or a high hit point building it's going to have a similar effect if you said boost his damage per second by 22 percent versus boosting the speed of his attacks by 22 percent you wind up in a similar boat but with lower hit point buildings you will actually wind up in a better in a better situation and i'll use the same thing like the skeleton example helps underscore that i'm going to destroy all these skeletons in 25 seconds versus destroying them all in 30 seconds or if i have to destroy a gold mine, adding a bunch of damage per second might make it to where I still need two hits to destroy the gold mine, or I might still need four hits to destroy a specific defense. But if I'm attacking faster, those hits will come out quicker and I will move on to another building faster. So attack speed is not just the same as damage per second. And I did, I've had people ask me over time, well, you know, like, is damage per second really the key metric or is the actual damage per attack the key metric? And one of the ways you can see this is the Archer Queen, and I did some, there are a bunch of different stuff. If you take a level 35 Archer Queen, she has 315 damage per second if you equip her with a Healer Puppet and the Invisibility Vial. I know what you're thinking. The Healer Puppet unlocks a Town Hall 12, so if you have a Town Hall 12 with a level 35 Archer Queen, you're dumb. Who cares? It's how it has to work. Level 35 Archer Queen with the Invisibility Vial and the Healer Puppet gives her a damage per second of 315, and because she attacks every three quarters of a second, that means each shot is 236.25 damage. So if she hits something eight times, she would deal 1,890 points of damage. Oddly enough, a level 3 Inferno Tower, Town Hall 10 Max Inferno Tower, has 2,100 hit points. If she put in eight shots on that, there would still be 210 uh, hit points left over. The level seven barbarian deals 30 damage per second, which he can attack once per second. So I did an experiment where I had a couple of barbarians go in one by one, put in a hit on an inferno tower, dropping it to 1,890 hit points, and then the archer queen winds up attacking and destroying it in four hits, which means those percent, those fractional points of damage that are being dealt to the buildings are actually kept and calculated and tracked. And that's one way to see that the damage per second is the driving force because behind the scenes, they're not going, well, this one needs to deal 236.25 damage per second. Supercell, for the most part, you see most of the damages and the building hit points, especially when you get to higher level defenses, they have nice round numbers for their hit points. You don't see an an air defense with 1,941 hit points, right? They're, they're usually more round numbers, which the damage per second numbers are more round numbers. And it's 
just that the damage per hit kind of gets a little goofy when you start dividing the attack speed in. So kind of makes it a little clear that the damage per second is the base number, and then the attack speed winds up telling you how much damage is going to come per hit. So with the Barbarian King, his attack speed and his damage per second will define the base damage per hit that he would normally deal, but then he does that 22% faster with a max vamp stash. So that's something to keep in mind in the future if we get other pieces of equipment that could wind up, you know, maybe the, you know, it's the, the next iteration of the giant gauntlet is, you know, the gauntlet of Barbarian King running around really fast and it doubles his attack speed. Uh, those are things I think would be very interesting for people to understand because it's actually better than just a simple damage per second increase. We will now move on to too much information, and I did say a little bit earlier on, this one's a little bit darker, but I don't know, so I just go with whatever my brain says. When I started jotting down my too much information, I opted to go with this. I do not have a lot of regrets in life. I am somebody who is really big on, uh, you know, I, I want to learn from experiences, but I, I wouldn't change very much about the world because I like my life. I love the relationship I have with my wife, with my kids. I have a good job. You know, I have a comfortable car to record a podcast in. I've got you guys and gals listening to my podcast. It's an honor, and I appreciate that, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, whether it's because you're driving or you're mowing a lawn or you're just bored and you want to listen to something. I appreciate the support, and I just want to say thank you for that. But there are, there's, this is one, when I think about like regrets that I have, this is one that I have. So I said it's dark. It is dark. My father committed suicide in 2017. And my wife and I were sitting down on the couch watching TV, uh, probably like 9 o'clock at night on a, uh, Friday or Saturday, I think it was. And I got a call, and I answered the phone, and the person on the phone says, Hi, may I speak to Trample Damage? And I said, This is Trample Damage. How may I help you? And they said, do you know a Trample Damage Senior? I'm not actually a junior, but I'm also not telling you my dad's name, so do you know a Trample Damage Senior? And I said, yes, he's my biological father. That's the answer that I gave to the coroner's office who was calling to tell me that uh, one of his, it was his ex-girlfriend, he had sent her a message that kind of alarmed her. She went to check on him at his apartment, and then she, you know, she found him and called the police, and the coroner came, and... She said, you know, you should call his son Trample. That's like the responsible person in the family. And we hadn't talked for about five years. And we had lots of different arguments. And there's like, you know, petty stuff in family. And I never, I didn't like most of his ex-wives, um, including my mom. She was, a, she was a pill, but it's a separate conversation. But the, we, we hadn't been talking for probably like five years. And it was this just really petty little moment where I had and I was like ha, he's my biological father and she's like you know my name is I forget her name from the coroner's office and I went oh you gotta be kidding me and it was you know losing a loved one is very difficult and especially like my dad never struck me as the kind of person who would end up making that decision he was always a very positive and jovial he was an alcoholic but he had been sober for a long time had started drinking again recently and his ex-girlfriend like stole money from him and he got into a dark place and we didn't know what was going on because I hadn't talked to him for a long time. And I don't even necessarily regret not having had the communication with him because he made life choices that I didn't agree with and told him as long as he was going to continue with those life choices, then I wasn't going to be inviting him over for stuff. And that I was also inviting other people into my home that might be people he doesn't like because of their family relationships. And if he didn't want to come, that was up to him. I don't regret that because I still feel like it was a right decision for me and my family at the time, but I regret that moment of pettiness. And it is something that I can't take back. And I... It, it's subtle, and it wouldn't change the world. It wouldn't make it to where, oh, you know, 
some, you know, it's not the, it wouldn't be a butterfly effect of all of a sudden meaning that now my wife and I are not married. It's just one comment that was so beneath me and beneath who I encourage people to be that I do regret that. And I wish I had not said that. And some other time I will, sh- I will share something equally sad because I have a regret related to my last communication with my mom prior to seeing her taken off of her life support when she was uh, sick with coronavirus. That's another one of the things that I actually regret. And I know I'm laughing, but I, I, you know, I try to make the best of life. So there you go. That's too much information for you. If you need to pause it for a minute to go and like, hug a puppy or something to get things back on track, feel free. Uh, For those of you that are going to continue along with us, I just recently started reading a new book called Metropolitan Stories by Christine Coulson, something I picked up at the bookstore just recently with a couple of gift cards I had from the holidays. And it's a fascinating story told from the author is somebody who used to work at the Metropolitan Museum in New York City. I'm only about 35 pages in. It is very elegant, and I'm really excited to see where it goes so far. haven't met very many characters, but they are a very fascinating bunch, those who work at such a prestigious museum like the Metropolitan. I'm very curious to learn about the people that, that work there, in addition to uh, the very creative way that she is incorporating the pieces of art into the story. So, so far, I'm, like I said, I'm 30, 35 pages in, but I am enjoying it so far. Metropolitan Stories by Christine Coulson. Uh, something I'm listening to lately, uh, for probably like three days in a row now, I've had almost nothing but Black Violin. It is a group, it is a duo, a hip-hop duo. Uh, the album Classically Trained, I first heard back in 2012 or 13, and it is two, it's two guys that are from Florida, I think. Um, they're, they have stage names. Their stage names are Kev Marcus and Will B. Um, I, that's not Kev. Kevin's last name is something else. I don't remember what it is. And uh, Will, I think his name is Wilner. But these are very, very talented musicians. Uh, Kev Marcus is a classically trained violinist, and Will B is a classically trained violist. I think that's how you pronounce it, violist. And they mix their classical violin and viola with hip-hop music as well. And it is so cool and so creative, and I love everything about it. And it's really good music for me to listen to while I'm working because it's like, I love classical music, keeps my brain stimulated, and that's been something that I've been listening to a lot at work. If you've never heard them, Black Violin, they have a lot of cool music, mostly just music, some of the songs, some of the music does have songs. Uh, They recently came to play here at the Smith Center in Las Vegas, but unfortunately, I had plans the evening of their performance that I could not get out of, so I was unable to attend their show. Okay, that's our too much information section. We will now wrap you up with our questions from the audience. Our first question coming to us from the ever-questioning Frederic, for which I appreciate the questions. This one is coming up on a year old. This was posted back in March of 23. Uh, The question is, how many accounts quit Clash of Clans in the past year, and how many new accounts? I've tried various ways of finding out this bit of information, in a way that is uh, publicly accessible and not something that would violate my NDA. I do have a few bits of information that I've gotten that kind of give me a hint as to what some of these numbers might look like, but I am I am firmly in the camp that this is not a question I will ever be able to answer directly without somehow violating my NDA. So I'm just going to bring it up so that Liam can cross it off the list, because Liam, again, one of the Reddit moderators, uh, great team over there at the Clash of Clans subreddit. If you want to check it out, please you know, go check it out. Give some support to the community. They got humor weekends. You can post funny stuff and memes on the weekends. 
I just went ahead and got that question out of there. I kept thinking I'd find a way to answer it effectively one day using stats from some of the other cool content creators that have put together some cool toys. And there are some estimates you can put together, but it's really hard to say what the actual churn numbers are. So I'm I'm going to just, I'm going to decline to answer that one. Uh, question from C-Note. Which do you think is more valuable, the resource potion or hemorrhoid cream? With a follow-up question from Cat. And why does C-Note love both of those items so much? So if you do not know, C-Note is the host of the Clash Tours podcast where he goes around to random clans and he's like, hey, I'm a podcaster. Can I come war with you guys and then talk about it? And people are like, please go away, strange man. And every now and then he lands one and he meets some new friends and we get new people into the community and it's really cool. And he talks about it. And so C-Note uh, has been infatuated with the training potion. I'm not the training potion, the resource potion ever since it, it was born into existence. And all joking aside, he actually hates the resource potion because he wants something else instead. Dead. I'm still puzzled as to why he doesn't just sell them to take the gems. Uh, and I, I honestly, I don't know why he is infatuated with hemorrhoid cream. I know one of my too much information was about my butt wipes. And so he started posting a lot of questions about butt wipes. And um, I, I don't know. I use butt wipes. They're actually, they're quite nice. But so Sino's question, which is more valuable, the resource potion or the hemorrhoid cream? And like with anything in Clash and life, it really depends on the situation. If you have a base that is just screaming for you to use super hogs, don't use a hemorrhoid cream. And if you have a base that's screaming for you to use uh, electro dragons, don't use a resource potion. So I would say if you don't have any trouble with hemorrhoids, then a resource potion is worth at least 10 gems, and that's pretty good. But if you have hemorrhoids, I'm telling you the value of 10 gems is nowhere near as nice as the value that you're probably going to feel not sitting around and squirming in your seat uncomfortably like I have seen paid actors do on commercials for hemorrhoid creams. And Kat's question, why does Sino love both of those items so much? I don't think he... I'm going to assume he still hates resource potions, and he has never liked them because he feels like if you need loot, just go attack people, and it's so quick and easy to find loot. And leaving resource collectors out there, it's just more stuff for other people to get when they attack your base. And that is one of those things that makes us feel bad. We come on the big game, we look, we're like, somebody hit me and took 9,000 Dark Elixir, and we get angry about it. And a resource potion means you're giving people more opportunities, potentially, to come in and nab stuff from you that you might not wind up collecting, because I think it's like 75% of the loot that is in a collector is what can be nabbed by the person who's attacking you. Um, and I'm going to assume... It's possible C-Note does do deliveries, which you can hear on his podcast, Deliveries of the Week. Uh, he spends some time in his car. Maybe he gets hemorrhoids a lot. I'm not sure. Maybe he loves them. Or he never does, and he's just being funny, in which case, I don't know if C-Note loves hemorrhoid cream cat. Cat, who is the host of the Pineapples and Thorns podcast, leader of the Red Thorn family, and she is an awesome attacker and an excellent host on the pineapples and thorns podcast so make sure to check them out uh, we do all like to joke around with each other a lot i think they are both amazing and i admire them quite a bit so please check out their podcast as well another question from one of my most most questioning people wheatley with builder base 2.0 a couple months back this question was in late december uh, a couple months back would you say the average player that it was effective I think Clash wanted to really stimulate a lot of excitement around the builder base, and I think for a very short period of time in April and May, some people kind of got excited and got back into it. But the majority of the people that I wind up talking to, and I've asked a lot of people their feelings on the builder base, and it seems to be, oh, good for clan games, and I like the gem mine. Don't really love the second stage because 
I like to be able to spam troops and close it. I'll be honest, my own personal opinion, I don't know that I've actually attacked the second stage of a builder base for a very long time. My main account used to be sitting at like, you know, right around 5,000 trophies. I'd, you know, go a little bit above that and then go a little below that and go a little above that. And when they introduce the second level, I, I don't ever play it. I just spam my troops, I close the game, I do it to get my daily accomplishments and, you know, I check out my gems and that's pretty much it. Uh, I think that the general consensus that I've seen from a lot of players is that they kind of tend to feel the same way, and without additional ties into the main village, or possibly even into clan capital, people will continue having... I think people probably like Builder Base more than they used to. It's probably more exciting for people than it used to be, but it if you know if it took it from an excitement level of 5, it didn't take it to a 10, it maybe took it to a 6, or a 5.5, or a 6.5, but for most people, I think it's like maybe marginally better than it was before, possibly worse. Some of the troops are cool, the Electro Fire wizard really cool the battlecopter pretty cool some of the defenses they have over there pretty cool i get a kick out of them i like the individual you know you know use this troop ability at a specific time i think that's a cool concept but i'm so much about like blazing through attacks and blazing through the game that i just don't make time for the builder base a question from Catfish, and we are 45 minutes, 46, 48 minutes, what does that say? 48, 46 minutes, plus the music. So we're like 47 minutes in. Got some ramble damage for you. Catfish asked the question, what is your name? What is your quest? What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? And yes, Liam, those questions must all be asked together, or the bit doesn't work. So this is from the Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail movie. There's a very funny scene where some of the knights are going to cross the bridge, and it's like the, like the Bridge of Doom or the Bridge of Death. I forget what it's called. And um, Sir Lancelot approaches the... You know, like the guys are all like kind of hanging back. Sir Lancelot walks up. If you've seen this before, hopefully I do this justice. If you've never seen it, I'm spoiling it. It's terrible, but go watch it online. It's actually a really funny scene. So Lancelot goes up to the bridge keeper, and you know, the bridge keeper's like, you know, has a little rhyme, something like, you know... Uh, if you want to get to the other side, you must answer me these questions three, air, the, proceed, or it's something along those lines. A lot of rhymey type of stuff. And he's like, you know, the first question is, what is your name? And he's like, oh, Sir Lancelot of Camelot. He's like, what is your quest? He's like, I seek the Holy Grail. He's like, what is your favorite color? He's like, blue. He's like, all right, go ahead. So he goes across the bridge, and the other guys are like, oh, this is super simple. So Sir Robin comes up, and the guy's like, what is your name? Sir Robin, what is your quest? I seek the Holy Grail. What is the capital of Assyria? <laughs> and Sir Robin's like, um, I, I don't know. And it's like, Springtrap hits. He's clearly under 18 housing spaces, and he goes flying off into the into the pit. And then the other guys are like, oh, um... Okay, so then, uh, who's the third? It's Sir Galahad, I think. Sir Galahad goes up, and, you know, he's like, What is your name? He's like, Sir Galahad of Camelot. What is your quest? So I'm seeking the Holy Grail. He's like, What is your favorite color? And he also says blue, but then he goes, Oh, wait, no, yellow. And so then Springtrap, another Springtrap, it gets reloaded, probably costs a thousand gold. Springtrap launches him into the sky. He goes flying into the pit. And then uh, King Arthur steps up, and King Arthur's, like, facing the bridgekeeper, and the bridgekeeper's, what is your name? He's like, King Arthur of the Britons, I think he says. And then, what is your quest? I seek the Holy Grail. He's like, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? <laughs> and King Arthur's like, what do you mean? An African or a European swallow? And the bridgekeeper's like, um, I don't know. And then the spring trap hits him, and he goes flying into the pit. And then um, I forget who's with King Arthur. Asks him, like, how do you know so much about swallows? And he's like, I'm a king. I face to know these things. So they keep going. So Catfish, thank you for bringing up some humor. I actually... I am, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, thank, thank you for the question. If you haven't seen the Monty Python movies, there's so many famous scenes. It's just like The Princess Bride. There are so many famous and quotable scenes in The Princess Bride. Uh, the same with a lot of the Monty Python stuff. 
A question from Big B, and I only put this on here. This is also sent from back in June. It's a really a partial question uh, and another music-related question because I enjoyed the Death Game answer and subsequently binge listening to them for the next week. Dot, dot, dot. I think that the copying and pasting into the spreadsheet got messed up, and so that's just been sitting out there as a question for a long time. And so I decided that uh, what, what Big B wanted to know here is what I really thought of him as a podcast host. And so that's what I'm going to go ahead and answer. Uh, for Big, for those of you who don't know, Big B uh, was one of the hosts of the Clash Rules podcast, uh, co-hosted with Clash Fan 9, and early in the early days also Zero Remorse Gaming, but mainly it's been just Big B and Clash Fan 9. And Big B recently announced his retirement, and he, he gave a couple of reasons as to why, and he... He gave what Congressman Coolrick referred to as like the classiest way for him to exit from his podcast. And he had so many really beautiful things to say about a lot of other podcasters who have done Clash podcasts over the years. He had some very nice things to say about me. I did not cry while I was listening to it, but if I was somebody who cries, I probably would have gotten at least a little bit misty-eyed as he was, you know, essentially bidding farewell to the Clash community because he is also planning on taking a break from the game. Uh, he did assure me that he's going to continue listening to podcasts, so Big B, if you are out there and you're still listening to this, I would like to let you know the reason why I think you were such an awesome podcast host is because I think you have an amazing Clash IQ. I had a couple of opportunities to be in war with you. You're an amazing attacker. I love your perspective on the game. One of my favorite episodes of any podcast that anybody has done is the one where you guys had Congressman Coolrick on there, and there was a little bit there where there was some back and forth within you two guys, and it was amazing. You guys both really, really great Clash IQ, very good way of, of thinking about the game and thinking about troops and army compositions. It was a great interview and one of my favorite podcast episodes and I am bummed that you are not going to be in it but I understand and I really look forward to the possibility of you coming back that is my question from Big B we're gonna wrap it up with oh no I meant to pick somebody else's question it's a it's a double Wheatley question week the final question is how can we support the podcast on Spotify downloading just listening etc I will say that the best way that you could support the inside clash with trample damage podcast and all the other podcasts that are out there, the ones that I'm most, you know, most friendly with, obviously the Reddit Talks Clash, I'm clan mates with these guys. They've got great perspective. Some of them are also in the creator program, so they've got cool, you know, like they're fun to talk to and they, they, they put on a good show. Uh, the Pineapples and Thorns podcast, Cat uh, has been a longstanding host on there. Currently, we've got Peter back as her co-host. She had Fado on there before. They they do a really good job over there. I love C-Notes podcast as well. I mentioned the Clash Wolves. Uh, Clashing with the homies, I'm probably going to stop telling you to listen to their podcast unless they put something else out because they put out one episode. It was good, and then they stopped. I'm kind of a numbers dude. I like all their, their perspective on the game, but... How can you support me? Uh, listening to the podcast is obviously a really great way to listen to the podcast. The other way to do it is don't be bashful. If you're still listening 50 minutes or more into this episode and you're finding value in it, please don't be bashful. Comment in my Discord server. Encourage other people to listen to the podcast. Put questions out there for the podcast. I have a, I have a channel in my Discord server called Questions for the Podcast. If the feedback is anything, even Wheatley telling me recently, I hate your music. That's not what he said, but he's like, the music has gotten boring. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. But look, I appreciate the feedback. Any way that you wind up wanting to interact, even it, it helps me, it encourages me, it motivates me to stay going when I see positive commentary. Even if it's just something as simple as, hey, I really like the episode. I love having the questions. Even if they're jokes, Liam, remind me to talk to you about this. Uh, some of the questions people have posted recently are funny. I actually don't mind talking about stuff that's totally unrelated, like Wheatley's question last time about, you know, why do I get less water out of 
of my fridge. That kind of stuff is actually fun or jokes. You know, why does C-Note hate resource potions? Like, you know, he doesn't want people stealing more of his stuff or, you know, picking on him as a target because he's got a lot of loot out there. I love the questions. I love the feedback. And honestly, that's the same way that you can wind up supporting the other podcasts as well. If, you know, you spend time driving and you normally just listen to some music and it's the same song, you're like, this song is overplayed. That's a sign. You should probably listen to somebody's podcast. Check it out. Go search for podcasts, Clash Podcasts. That is it. That is it. That is update sneak peek number one. We will see what happens to the three-star rates. Clan War League going to be coming up soon. We'll see uh, if the update winds up dropping before then. We'll see what happens. Maybe it'll come after then. I'm not allowed to say when it's going to come, but you guys can speculate already about it. But I am excited about all the stuff that's going to be coming, and I cannot thank you guys enough for the support. Please make sure that you are subscribed to me on YouTube if you're not. All my other social media stuff, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And please encourage somebody else to listen to not only my podcast, but other people's podcasts as well and of course support some creator we will check you guys out on the next episode